If you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I've spent the weekend with um, a whole bunch of uh, parents. Um, this is the weekend of the, the parent retreat up at Lake Ann Camp. Uh, just an excellent, excellent time. Drove back late last night. And uh, so they are finishing up this morning with a couple of sessions and lunch and then returning home. We've learned a, a number of things um, this, this weekend, just about family and church and parenting. And um, it, it, it didn't hurt that it was um, on nearly 60 degrees up north yesterday and, and sunny and the leaves are at their peak and it was beautiful. So when I was leaving, they were, um, the um, groups of parents were sitting around the bonfire. I think some were going to go play Nerf Wars and, um, and then watch the Northern Lights last night. So um, it's been a good weekend um, together around God's Word um, up at Lake Ann Camp. We're in Philippians chapter 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. So we have a series in the Psalms. And interspersed through that, we are looking at Philippians. So we have a number of um, men, especially, that are preaching through um, Philippians. And this is my opportunity to dig into the book with you and to look at, and look at this particular book. I, I want to start with verse 9. Um, I actually want to start with the end of our passage. Look at verse 9 with me. It says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. <clears throat> now, this section here ends with this, this um, praise to Jesus Talking about who Jesus is and the fact that um, he is the one that, that God will exalt, that everyone will worship and will worship him. And it points out that it is the name, the name above every name. And at his name, Jesus, every knee should bow. Now, this is an ending of a section that is all about unity and unity in the church. The Philippians um, are, um, Paul is writing this, this book to the Philippians, to the church at Philippi. Paul is imprisoned. Um, there's, there's, a, there's some embarrassment around that. Paul um, explains in, in, and, uh, and talks about that. Here, this individual who's a leader is incarcerated. And, uh, um, and also, the, the Philippians have seen him go through suffering, and he talks about his own suffering. And in that, he is actually preparing this church to go through suffering themselves. And so he's talking about his own suffering. Um, he's talking and preparing them. Um, they've experienced some of this. And he's preparing them for even more suffering for the sake of the gospel. And, and this section is about unity in the church. Because if you're going to go through suffering, if you're going to go through difficulty, um, what Paul is saying is we need to go through it together. And we need to go through it together. And what unifies is the gospel. The gospel unifies. 
But here, at the end, he, at the end of this passage, he's talking about the glory of Christ and the glory of the gospel. It's an interesting section because he, he really, all of this comes to this close and the reason that the church should be unified is because the identity of Jesus. That's a really interesting thing, right? It's a really interesting thing. Generally, when, when we talk about unity, right, um, uh, a few weeks ago, um, I, I was preaching. We talked about service, serving the church. And usually, you know, when we talk about serving, people are like, okay, buckle up. This is the nursery drive sign up Sunday, right? And when we talk about unity, it's like, okay, unity. What program are we entering into? Is there a capital campaign? What are we going to do? Why is he talking about unity? He just wants to get everybody on board to do the thing that we're going to do, right? When we talk about that, that comes up. You're like, okay, you're talking about unity. What is it that you want me to do? But you think about the scripture. That's not, there is a thing to do. We're definitely going to talk about certain things to do. It may not be what you think it is. But that's not where this scripture goes. It, it, it ultimately drives at identity. It, it, that, ought to, um, that ought to be familiar to us, but in some ways it ought to strike us rather unusual. Um, why this appeal to the name of Jesus, that every knee will bow at the name. This is who he is. There's, there's a reason why. I mean, think about we we've done some some a lot of talking about families this weekend and raising children and all of those kinds of things. And um, and, and you just think about just the general concept of unity. And you say, well, we've got to be a family together. And the question is, why? Why do you have to be a family together? Some of you, you know, had to get your whole family to church on time this morning. And so we've got to be unified. Why? Because we have to get to church the task. We've got to do the task. So we've got to be unified for the task. Oftentimes, that's how we frame unity. We frame unity simply to accomplish the task. Now, I'm using language that, um, that we've, we've talked about the last couple of days because I, I, I want you to hear some of those, those things. Um, we, we talk about unity when it comes to task. Um, when we were um, out, we, we did a number of things in the woods out there. They have these high ropes courses and these low ropes courses. Since it's parents, kids, we stayed close to the ground, right? So we did all of these different um, initiatives. And so one of the things that we talked about is we talked about the task and the purpose, right? The task and the purpose. There's two different things. Right? There's, there's a, accomplishing the task. And so on, on one of these, these ropes course, you, we had, there was this swinging log, and then there was these wires, and you, you, know, you had particular rules. You could only have so many people, and your whole team had to get across. So the task was like to actually do this and get everybody from point A to traverse these obstacles all the way over. But the, the purpose... In, in doing this task was to create cooperation, cohesion between the whole group. That was the purpose.
purpose. That was the purpose. And so we, we did that and we talked about like how well did we do? Did we, we accomplish the task, but did we actually do the goal? Did we, did we do the goal? <clears throat> this passage moves in this direction because if we're simply talking about what is it that God's called us to do, right? And if we, if we only focus on the task, you think about that even in raising kids, if you simply talk about the task, if the task is important, then if, if it's all that, all that matters is actually doing this one thing, then there's one thing that can go out the window, and that's ethics. If the task is the only thing that matters, right, then we can get the task accomplished however we want. But if we have a particular purpose or identity that guides us, then how we do what we do makes all the difference in the world. See, that's, that's what Paul is driving at. This is not simply, hey, church, we need to be unified because we have something to accomplish. Or we just need to be unified because life is better that way. You think about how many, you know, we got to get to church, so we got to be unified. So because it's easier to be unified than it is to be like not unified and crazy and chaotic. So, so let's just focus on, no, there's something higher. There's something deeper. There's something more important um, that, um, here, that the Apostle Paul is after. The, what he's after is this very thing, this last sentence, to the glory of God the Father. So here's, here's the, the purpose. What's the purpose of unity in the church? The, unity, the purpose of unity in the church is, the, is in order that we might glorify God. That, that, that's the purpose of unity in the church, is that we might glorify God. That's, that's the ultimate purpose uh, of unity in the church, that God receives the glory, and, and you think about this. This is this is not something new. This is uh, this is an ancient task for us to do to give God glory, to give Him glory. That's God created the world. He put humanity in the world, and He gave humanity dominion over the world. And the goal of humanity in the world was to glorify God throughout the whole world. That was the goal. That, that's the goal here is that God would be glorified, that God would be glorified in this. And, and you have to say, well, does God, wait a minute, does God need glory? That just doesn't sound right to me. God needs glory, right? You know, if I pointed out one of you and I said, well, hey, today, you know, so-and-so sitting here needs more glory, we'd think, that's selfish person. They need more glory. That's awful vain. Well, of us, that, that's true. Because we would say, well, you know, people who just desire glory, that's a bad thing. But if giving glory to God, right, if giving glory to God is actually a good thing, which it is, in fact, I would say that it's really the best thing, right? You think about, like, in everything we do, there's the scripture. Paul, Paul writes this um, to, to another church. He tells them that whatever you're doing, 
There's a certain way that you need to do it in order to do what? Give glory to God. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, give glory to God. Why? Because that's the highest purpose of humanity. And if, 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 if you look at that, you have to say, well, do I really believe that this is good? Right? Do I really believe that this is good? The Ten Commandments start out how? Thou shalt have what? No other God before me. Why? Because that's good. That's good for you and me. It's good for all humanity that we, that we magnify who God is. This is good. It is good for us. It is good for the world. It is the highest, it's the highest thing that we can do is give God glory in everything that we do. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is, is that at the center of your your being, because that's where this is, that's the pathway that this is, this is driving. What I want you to see is that there's no campaign here. There's, there's no, you know, sign up for the nursery kind of thing, but rather it is, it is the, the glory of God. It's the glory of God. So when we talk about unity, um, Oftentimes we think, wait a minute, somebody is trying to manipulate me. Well, no, that, it sh- that shouldn't be. When we talk about unity in the church, we ought to frame that in the way Paul is, is looking. He's saying, you're going to go through difficulty. If you're going to get through difficulty, you're going to get through difficulty together, clinging to, united around the gospel of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. That's, that's the pathway of this scripture. In fact, that's where um, it starts out. It starts out with some, uh, real quickly, I want you to see that he starts out with this motivation. So he ends with the glory of God, right? We, and, and in this, we get our identity from who God is, right? Um, God is our Father, and we stand before him in the work of Jesus Christ, through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and we know that we have a right relationship with God, right? So a right relationship with God, when he calls us his sons, we have a right relationship with God. He takes away what? He takes away our shame. We no longer deal with shame. And because of that, right, we now, we, we now have love, and love motivates us to do what? Love motivates us to obedience, Right? Rather than having other gods, right? If, 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 if you stand before God and you believe that you are condemned, as Romans 1 says, that everyone without God believes that they are condemned, you deal with shame. And so in order to, you, you deal with the fact that, that the wrath of God is upon you. And so um, you actually have to prove who you are. Right? And, and so that shame causes people to run to other gods, to run to other things. To do what? To, to create an identity for themselves. There is a war. There, this is, this is the, the history of humanity. There's a place that there is an identity battle. We know that too well. But the place that the battle is today is not what this war is for. Paul, St. Paul says that, that mankind wants to be God and define things 
as they want to define things. Why? It's a battle over identity. And it's because we're dealing with shame. And so what, what we do is we, we operate under our own law when we run away from God, and our, even our own law condemns us. But Jesus frees us from all of that. He frees us. Why? Because we get a new identity, identity in Christ. No more shame. Our sins, past, present, and future, have been taken away. And now we, have, we are motivated to obedience through love. That's where this starts. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, so if there's any encouragement, if there's any encouragement in Christ. So notice there's, there's four motives for unity. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So first he, he mentions encouragement in Christ. If you understand your identity in Christ, he's saying if you have any encouragement because you have this new identity um, in Christ, if you have any encouragement that you are a new creature, if you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you, so he's listing all of these motives. If you have any comfort in his love, that's the second thing, any comfort from love, the fact that, that you are loved, that you're loved. Many people are dealing with the question of, can I be loved? Does somebody really love me? You know, God looks through us, through and through. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows all of our actions. And yet, what does he do? He loves us. He loves you. And he's saying, if you have any comfort from the fact that God loves you. And, and, and he, the, the third, he says, any participation in the Spirit. Those that come to understand who Jesus is and are saved have surrendered their, their sin and received the forgiveness of salvation. They have the Spirit of God that's reminding them continually that they are children of God. Any participation in the Spirit. And then he says affection or sympathy and mercy. Affection and sympathy and mercy. These are, these are motives. If this is, if you have, if you have these things, if you're moved by these things. He's speaking then in verse 2 as a pastor. He's saying, make my joy complete. What he wants to see, verse 2, make my joy complete, is he wants to see this church together, not splintered and fractured by suffering. Um, this is actually a continuation, chapter 2, verse 1, um, of verse 27 in chapter 1. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. He's saying, if you have any motivation in the fact that you are a child of God, 
that this is what I want to see, that you're together living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you're standing firm together. Make my joy complete. Those, that's the motives for church unity. And then, he, and then he gives the benchmark. So this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Look at verse 2. He goes on in verse 2. He says, um, and, and there's four benchmarks there. Being of the same mind. Being of the same mind. Um, he, this, this means actually actively striving together. You're being of the same mind together. You know, so I was on, on a team this, this past weekend, and um, as a team, we had to uh, lift this log with these pulleys. So we had this really thick, big rope, and there was a whole bunch of us on it. And we had, what we had to do is you had to, as a team, you had to pull this rope and lift the log from this pulley to a certain height and then let it down. And then you had to pull it back, and you had to do that. You had 30 seconds for your team to go up and down. And so they explained it to us really quick. And then said, okay, go. And of course, we, weren't, we were just kind of standing there. And then everybody got the rope and like people were, were pulling and these other people were coming towards them with the rope. Well, ropes don't work that way, right? You're running into each other and, and the log is not even up in the air. It's still on the ground. And, like, and so, so then, we, then they said, okay, stop. What did you learn from that? And we said, well, we think we need to be a little more organized, right? This is the idea of being of the same mind. In order to get the log off the ground with this big rope and multiple people, you have to do what? All pull the same direction. Right? All pull the same direction. It all be together. You had to be of the same mind. And then, like in order to set it down and pull it again, you had to all release together. Right? Otherwise, there's somebody at the end who's getting drugged. And you're not of the same mind. That's the picture. It's striving. It's the idea of striving together, actively striving. He says this in verse 5. Have this, this same attitude in yourselves, um, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So you think about this. What he says in verse 5 is this idea of having the same mind is something that we are given. That we're given in Christ. And he says, um, second, having or maintaining the same love. Um, having, that word there means to maintain. And some versions will actually just, um, just say that, that English word, maintaining the same love. So as you're doing this, as you're being of the same mind, um, there is an element that's a part of this. Um, it's not just simply, um, you, you know, like, Everyone get on board as if you're automatons and robots. And, but there is this affection for one another that is being maintained to love one another. In 1 John chapter 3, verses, verse 14, it says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. That, that's an interesting test. of the work of God in your life. How well do you love each other? And so the, the second benchmark is maintaining the same love or having the same love. And then third, being in full accord. 
This literally means one soul being in full accord. Look at verse um, 27. Um, he says this uh, of this section earlier, um, being of one mind. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that whether I come to see you or are absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So, the, so this one mind is a benchmark. We're thinking the same way. We're thinking about the gospel. We're saying, what does God's word say? How, how does that help us be one-souled together? How does that help us strive together? How does that help us love one another? That is of being of one mind, one particular purpose, one mind. And here's the means. So how do we do it? This is oftentimes where we start with things in Scripture. Um, but he's going to tell us, he is going to, going to tell us, how do we get there? How do we attain unity? Well, it starts really with the gospel and understanding who you are. And then he says, this is how you act. This is the means. So um, we have this pathway for unity, um, the pathway for spiritual Unity. One, he says, look at verse three. Verse three, the word of God says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse four, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's where we started. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now there is this pathway for spiritual unity, but do you see where the pathway points? The pathway points to the work of Jesus. The work of Jesus points to the glory of the Father, and it is the Father that glorifies the Son. So this in what we're doing by pointing to Jesus and pointing to who he is and his work is the glory of God. That's what, in in these next few moments, it won't take us much time to get through this, through this pathway of spiritual unity. We do need to think, where do we need a course correction? Where is it that we're missing? Because it begins with each person. That's how unity is built. It begins with all of us coming together around the gospel. So he says first in verse three, reject envy or selfish ambition. Reject envy or selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition um, or conceit. Um, He says that we need to reject this idea of envy, this selfish ambition, thinking about ourselves. You think about when, um, what, what is selfish ambition? 
Um, it can be described nothing more than envy or a violation of the, the ninth commandment um, where we are looking to others, we are envying what they have or who they are, and we are wanting that for ourselves. Here's what James says in James chapter 3. And we prayed, and we prayed about wisdom this morning. James is one of the wisdom books of the New Testament. And he says, who is wise in understanding among you? By his conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and, all, and, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by the one who makes peace. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder, you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel and you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose, the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that has made to dwell with us. But he gives us more grace. Therefore, God says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to, to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's an amazing passage of Scripture, and I think it's a reflection of what, um, what Paul is saying here to the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition because what happens when we look to others, when we do things out of selfish ambition, that is the very thing that causes divisiveness. That's the very thing in our hearts when we have these passions and we run after those passions um, rather than looking at the gospel, rather than looking at the word of God. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Reject Selfish ambition. Second, he says, reject empty conceit. Verse, verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Reject conceit. Um, conceit is being wise in your own estimation. Being wise in your own estimation. In other words, being over God's word rather than saying, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not wise. Rather, I need God's word over me. Being wise in your own eyes, that is um, conceit. It's someone who considers himself um, always to be right. Um, Romans 11.25 says this is not the wisdom of God. Third, we see that we are to welcome a humble mindset. Right? That's what James said. 
in verse 3 that we're to welcome a humble mindset. So two things we're to reject. Reject selfish ambition or envy. Um, We're to reject conceit, but rather we are to be humbled by the word of God and we welcome a humble mindset. He says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It's an interesting phrase. It's good. Proverbs 11.2 says, with the humble is wisdom. With the humble is wisdom. We, ha- we have the example of Moses. In Numbers chapter 12, it says that the man Moses was very humble more than all the people that were on the face of the earth. He says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. What this does not mean is that you are insignificant. Uh, there's nowhere in the Bible that glorifies asceticism. In other words, not meeting your needs, right? You've probably flown on a plane and the stewardess is up there going through the little chart that everybody is ignoring. I pay attention to them because I'm like, I, I can't imagine like having to do that job and being like, this is the part of my job where everybody ignores me. So I, I'm watching, I'm watching, Right? The stewardess says, like, it goes through the, you know, buckle your seatbelt and pull the little, you know. And they say that um, should the plane lose altitude and the cabin depressurize, that an oxygen mask will drop from the ceiling. And what do they say? Now, if you have a child, make sure that you put that on the child first. Is that what they say? Oh, okay. Next time I'm going to report, I got a church that pays attention. It's good. They say, put it on who first? Put it on yourself first. There's certain things. See, this phrase says that there's certain things that, that you need to do for yourself. Consider others more significant. There's certain needs that God expects and will meet, right, so that you can do what? Meet the needs of others. Why does God meet your needs? So that you can be an instrument of meeting the needs of others. What will interfere with that? What interferes with the glory of God when I think I'm the only one with needs? Right? When I am not humble, when I am conceited, when I am envious, I am not thinking about the needs of others. And so he's saying, don't think yourself insignificant. Why? Because the end of this is you have identity. You have glorious gifts in Christ that are diminished if you think you are nothing. That's ungodly thinking. You are something. You're created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Put your oxygen mask on first but consider others more significant than you. What it means is now go and meet the needs of others. Go and meet the needs of others. Don't simply think of yourself. There's wisdom in that. There's humility in that. And it's reiterated then in verse um, verse um, four. Um, Look at verse four. It says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, um, that we are to strive 
to meet the needs um, of others. That that's, that's the purpose. So we, we strive to meet the needs of others. Not, not simply just considering people more significant, but there's actual this striving. We're looking to meet the needs of other people, our, uh, not just ourselves. And then fifth begins with this verse. It's the pathway to spiritual unity. Well, there's three things, two things we need to reject. Reject envy, reject conceit. We need to welcome a humble mindset. We need to strive to meet the needs of others. And then finally, we see right here in verse five, there's something we need to put on. Have this mind among you? No, among us, among yourselves. Have this same mindset. Put on the mind of Christ. And what did Christ do? He's, he is an example. He's more than an example, but he's showing us the way. And when we walk in his footsteps, when we put on his mind, his mindset, what is that like? Who, though he was the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What did he do? He submitted to the Father. Even though he was equal, he submitted to the will of the Father and did what? Emptied himself, taking the form of what? A servant. Being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. You see, that's the pathway. That's the pathway to spiritual unity. Christ himself, God himself has walked that pathway. Oh, that ought to give us comfort in his love for us. This isn't God on high just going, here's what I want you to do. No, he gives you an identity. How does he give you an identity? He empties himself. He endures all suffering. That's what Paul's telling to the Philippians. You're gonna endure suffering. Look to the one who's endured all suffering, who's taken your penalty, who's taken your shame. God will exalt him. Why do we need unity in the church? Because this is the pathway for the glory of God. It's not a building program. It's not simply to have greeters. It's, it's not simply just to organize and order things. Those, those are derivatives of, of unity, but that's, those are tasks. It's not the purpose. The purpose is so that you and I might see the glory of God in this unity, that this community might see the glory of God in this unity, unified around the gospel, and that ultimately... Our heart's desire is to bring God glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. We confess that we, in, in uh, the futility of our thinking, are not wise. Um, and so we want to contribute to your glory. And it is that um, brotherhood that we share, that unity that we share in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we've been living through times that are incredibly divisive. We pray that above all things, we would place Jesus Christ. That the world might see that your church, your people, um, stand in utter devotion to Jesus, unified in the glory of God the Father, through the work of the Son, by the power of the Spirit, in obedience to your word, because of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.